Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. We'll stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy to us this day and every day of our lives. Father, we thank you that you uh, will feed us. You have fed us on your word, and we ask that you would again feed us on this scripture. And Father, that you would build us up, that we would press on. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So I come back to this passage at the end of uh, the year. Uh, most years I'll preach a sermon on making resolutions. Right? They Resolutions fall on hard times. People, people who are anti-legalism get all huffy and puffy about them. I think they're helpful. Um, I think good uh, men and women through the ages have made resolutions, uh, not just New Year's resolutions, but resolutions and vows and, and uh, promises and covenants all uh, through the ages and uh, at every part of the year. And so uh, this is something that you should, you should be doing continually. You should be examining yourself and resolving to do better and to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. And so uh, we're going to focus on that. And so some of these some of these suggested resolutions that you're here after a while, you've heard before. Uh, Some are new. Uh, I I revise this each year and sometimes it's uh, 13 resolutions. Sometimes it's five. I think I have uh, I think it's seven, but it might be eight. But it should have been seven, right? But um, so let's let's focus on this aspect of pressing on. And first of all, with the with the exam, just this examining question of, are you in the fight? Are are you focused on pressing on? Are you in the fight? Right. John Owen wrote the the following in the, in the book that our men read recently of the mortification of sin and believers. Do you mortify? love that. Do you mortify? It's like, uh, we don't even know what that means, mortify, right? Do you put things to death? Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you, right? We know that last part, be killing sin or it will be killing you. But the, the first part, are you, he's asking, are, do you do this? Are you in the fights? Right? Are you mortifying the flesh? Are you pressing on in your Christian walk? Or are you content to be where you are now? Have you arrived and you're, you're going to coast through the rest of your Christian life? Not much sanctification left to do. Content to live perhaps with the sins you've always lived with because you've, begun, you've grown fatigued with fighting them. Or to maintain, for example, the same level of love or lovelessness in your relationship with your spouse or with your children or with your friends? Are you content to feel the same self-pity that you felt through your entire adult life? Or perhaps perhaps you have a positive assessment of how things are going. You're, You're quite pleased with yourself. You think you are doing quite well. Uh, the Apostle Paul may have needed to press on, right? But, but uh, I'm nearly sanctified at this point, right? And we go all Wesleyan 
in our view of sanctification. Right? I generally love my wife, my kids. I love my dog and my cat. And, and people like me. I'm doing pretty well. When I walk in a room, eyes light up. Right? People want me to be around them. And, um, well, in that case, you haven't stopped pressing on because you've, you've made all the progress that you pretend to make. And so whether, you know, our spiritual stagnation comes from fatigue after failures or delusions of grandeur, right, God requires us still to make progress. God requires us to press on. The word of God is given to us, right, all of the word of God is given to us so that we might become adequate and equipped for every good work. We're in the process of becoming adequate for every good work. Right? The life of the follower of Jesus Christ is one of necessity. It is one of growth. It is one of sanctification and pressing on. And the Holy Spirit exhorts us to this work in Philippians 3 by the Apostle Paul's example to press on. Right? No matter how young, no matter how old, no matter you know, what's your past, no matter who hurts you in the past, no matter what education you've received, no matter how wealthy or unwealthy you are, no matter the color of your skin, the age of your children, the stress you're under at work, right? No matter how sick you've been, no matter what afflictions you've suffered, no matter what inner turmoil you've labored under or have given into, you're called to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ, right? So that you may please God in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, right? So that you may walk in, a man, in the, the same manner as Jesus Christ himself walked. The Christian life is one of sanctification and growth. It's one where we, by the power of the Spirit, are actively fighting against the influences of our sinful flesh the temptations of the world, and, of course, resisting the schemes of the devil. And, and we, we are losing um, our conformity to this world by being transformed by the renewing of our minds and proving what the will of God is, right? With that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember this from later in Philippians 3. Here's... Here's the situation you are in if you are in Jesus. Brethren, join in following my example. This is at verse 17. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's the life of the Christian. That is what is happening to us. The transformation that God works by the Holy Spirit in his children ought to be observable, right? It ought to be observable. The goal of the Christian life is not what many antinomians say it is, merely to believe the gospel more and more, right? Believe the gospel more and more. It sounds so righteous. It sounds so good. It sounds so right, now, the goal of the Christian life is conformity to Christ. That's what the goal of the Christian life is. It is the painful, right, and glorious and, and peaceable, fruit-bearing work of sanctification. Owen, again, from, of the mortification of sin, says, God can make the dry, parched ground of my soul to become a pool and my thirsty, barren heart as springs of water. Yes, he can make this habitation of dragons, this heart which is so full of abominable lusts and fiery temptations, 
to be a place of bounty and fruitfulness unto him. Right? Do you believe that? In fact, that, that transformative work is the work he always does with his children. That is the work he always does. It is gloriously satisfying to the children of God as well. That work is satisfying. That work is good. That work is what we crave. It is the love of the Father, after all, being poured out in our hearts through the Spirit. It's nothing less than the, the triune God at work in his people. How do we know we are supposed to work out our Christian walk to press on, to make progress, to be transformed, rather than simply believe the gospel more and more in the mind without there being any effect on our behavior or outward works? First, and most importantly, many verses, uh, the whole book of James, for example, teaches us this truth. It teaches us that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And the Holy Spirit elsewhere teaches us this. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, faith works. It produces fruit. That's what faith does. Second, God didn't remove you from this world when he called you into his household. He left you in this world. And though we are not of the world, we live in it and pursue our sanctification in that context through his word. Jesus prayed for his apostles. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And so it goes for us. We are sanctified in the truth, even as we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that would delight to see us join her, right? Third, he gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us before glorification. What is the Spirit's work? One aspect of the Spirit's work is this. He is given to us and lives with us that we might grow in holiness, that we might grow in Christ-likeness. By his power, we are called to put to death the deeds of the body. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live, Romans 8, 13. And this is not a burden. Again, this is our joy. It is our imitation of the Holy Father in heaven. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So conformity to Christ, living a holy life, should not be viewed as a burden to us. The children of God delight to be like their Father, God. Does the Holy Spirit live within us? Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. He said, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple, right, in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what is happening with God's children. The Apostle Peter reminds us that we are priests of God, and priests are called to do the works of God. Just as the, the, those Old Testament priests made sacrifices in order to enter into the presence of God, we as individuals within a body are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, and so we should expect that growth means change, and change for sinful, sinful human beings means repentance and, and sanctification. All of that means we don't stagnate. Rather, we grow. We change. We press on. Right? We work out our salvation that we might glorify God and give thanks to him, not just with our lips, but with our thoughts right? and our affections and with our actions, the things that we do. You already know that, that one of my favorite pastors is Jonathan Edwards. 
He um, led a few churches in the early and um, middle 1700s in New England, first in New York, then Northampton, then he was kicked out to Stockbridge, and uh, then he was asked to be the president of some college, uh, one of those Ivy League colleges, and died after he got an inoculation. He was only there for a few months. But in, in the years 1722 and 23, when he was a young man, he was just enter, entering into the ministry, Edwards wrote 70 resolutions that he hoped that, uh, to keep, not just for the coming few years, but for his entire life. He began his resolutions in the way any good student of the Word of God would start, by, by asking God to give him the ability to keep them. <laughs> that's, that's where he started. Lord, give me the ability to keep these. He wrote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable with his will for Christ's sake. So in other words, Jonathan Edwards knew that his effort in his Christian walk was not so that he might merit his salvation but and, and then put God in his debt. He knew that only Christ could merit and had merited that salvation. But he also knew that the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of progressive sanctification, was his calling as a child of God. And even there it was God at work within him. Here are a few of the res resolutions he makes. Resolve that I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Resolve never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Resolved never, to, now Netflix is not going to tell you to do that and, you know, going to do the opposite of that. And we think someone like this is morbidly introspective. Well, not so. He, his, he lived in the heavenlies. Resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. Resolve whenever I do any conspicuously evil action to trace it back till I come to the original cause and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more and to fight and pray with all my might against the original of it. Resolve to cast away such things as I find do abate my assurance. Resolve never to speak evil of any except I have some particular good call for it. <laughs> Resolve never to speak anything that is ridiculous or matter of laughter on the Lord's Day. 52, I frequently hear per persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again, resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to old age. And then the last one I'll share, resolved after afflictions to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. So you see that Edwards was a man who he took the Apostle Paul's direction to examine himself seriously. Edwards took stock and he followed Scripture's direction laid out in 2 Corinthians 13. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. So it's said that Edwards read through those, those resolutions often, um, uh, every week, in fact. They say he read through those resolutions. I mean, 
If we just made one resolution to read through our resolutions every week, we'd have a hard time keeping that resolution. But, you know, he's reminding himself of the resolutions that he wants to keep. And so he was, he was seeking to press on, to make progress in his faith, to work to lay hold of that which God had given him as a gift, his salvation. If we're not making progress in our faith, brothers and sisters, we're falling back. We're falling, there's no standing still. There's no hovering, no coasting in the Christian faith. And, that, and the reason for that is we're in the midst of, of battle and there's so many things that are coming against us. Even our own hearts come against us. And so we have to do more than just play defense. We, we, have, to, we have to turn to offense and take some ground. We have to take some ground. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil are still... Uh, dangerous forces, right? Either we make progress in the faith or we make retreat from it, progress or shipwreck, right? The apostle Peter said, now for this very reason also apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and your moral excellence, knowledge and your knowledge, self-control and your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, increasing, you know, how do you, if you're older, do you still feel like you did when you were a teenager because you're still struggling with the same sins you did as a teenager? There should be progress. That should not be. That really shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. We should make progress. Those things should be increasing in us, right? Then we would be proving our usefulness in the absence. You know, if, if we don't make pro- progress, we're proving that passage says our uselessness. And the absence of a true knowledge of Christ in our lives. If those things aren't increasing, we're we're proving our uselessness and our absence of knowledge. So says scripture, right? We must feel the weight of those scriptures that warn us not to fall away, to backslide, to return to living according to the old man. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you any evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? To this end, you know, I want to encourage all of you to take stock, to um, examine yourselves, and to make spiritual resolutions sometime during this next week. Right? You have a week until January 1st, which is our arbitrary starting point for resolutions, right? So consider this a part of your work, part of the work of you working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And consider this your joy. You should, you should enjoy thinking upon the sanctification that God will bring to you, even now as you desire that and desire growth. So here are a few suggestions of godly resolutions. Um, that you can keep during your entire remainder of your lives, but certainly attempt in the coming year. Read through the entire Bible within a year. Really do it this year. Read through the Bible. We are people of God's book, of the Word. And it just, it is not right for us not to be in the Word. It just isn't. Um, I was in and out of the word this year, right? In and out, back and forth. I imagine most of us would say the same thing. Well, the key verse for this resolution, I'd say, is, is this, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, right? And so read through the Bible consistently at some pace through the year. I've done a number of different reading plans through the Bible in 88 days. It's very difficult Uh, but very rich uh, through the Bible in 180 days, which I'm going to do this year, um, hopefully twice. 
uh, McShane's Bible reading program. There are chronological reading programs. There are tons of programs. I sent you an email to a Ligonier post that has 40 or 50 different reading plans. But whatever one you choose, um, be in the word often, even every day. Right? You need that um, you need the strengthening that comes from that. The word of God is to live within us, working over our hearts and our minds, directing our actions and our thoughts, honing our love for God and love for others, continually bringing us to conviction of sin, to comfort, to faith, right, to fortitude. This means the word of God must always be with us because we're fickle. We're easily entangled in sin. And so the thoughts of our minds, if, if only shaped by our unsanctified imagination, right, um, they overwhelm us with grief and anger and lust and discontentment. But the word of God comes in right, and dashes apart those wicked, faithless thoughts. And, and we languish because we don't revive ourselves continually on God's covenant promises, Right? We for, so easily forget the most glorious promises in, I mean, it's sad. Remember, all scriptures God breathed, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so this year, through the Bible, and let me know if you want to join me in the 180 days, and I'll shoot you the PDF I'm using. And we can do it together and hold one another accountable. Second, resolve to live more openly for Christ. Live more openly for Christ. Key verse here, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Talk to strangers about Jesus. Talk to strangers about Jesus. Invite people into your home. Direct conversations from the mundane to the spiritual. Like here at church. Come and say, look, I'm going to redirect conversations. I am so sick of talking about football. I'm not going to talk about it today. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Um, pray with others often, on the spot. Pray quickly with others Seed interactions with the word of God. Do you know what I read this morning? You know, do you, you want to know what I read? And I don't care if it's the biggest pagan you've ever been around. Say so you, you want to hear something I read this morning? And say the word, right? If you haven't done street evangelism, go this year. I challenge all of you to do that. I loathe it. Oh, I loathe it. Right? It puts me out of my comfort zone, and yet it is so good to do this. It is so good to be reminded that Jesus, um, Jesus is everywhere, and that his spirit is, is everywhere and accessible. Right? So go do street evangelism. I want to see everybody in this church do that this year. Um, if, if you haven't led somebody to Christ... Right? And street evangelism is about planting seeds. Right? If they get to the point where you've planted the seed and invited them to church and they come to church, well, then you get the opportunity to lead them to Christ. Okay? And leading somebody to Christ is answering their questions and praying with them. And when they sin, trying to pick up the pieces with them and, and share the promises of God and try to grow, the, I mean, and, and, and teach. It's, it's so many things. But um, try to do that this year. Is there somebody you need to lead to Christ? Lead them to Christ. Um, haven't invited anybody to church. Make a list of targets this year. Just invite them to church and let everybody else who's good at evangelism do the work for you. Um, have your children seen you praising God at home? Uh, are you... Are you living openly to Christ in your own home? Um, are, have your children seen you praying to God? Have your children seen you reading his word? They ought to. Live openly your faith before your children. Um, still haven't raised your hands in worship. 
try it. Live openly for Christ. Dance before the ark as David did. Uh, Co-workers still don't know you're a Christian. Ugh. Well, let them know by your behavior, by your conversation, and by your example. High school students, lead your table at lunch in giving thanks before a meal. Every time you sit down, lead the group and pray. Do something like this to show that you have a faith, that you have some love for God. Right? Talk to visitors who come through the door. Don't assault them with invitations. Just talk with those who come through the doors of the church. Live openly for Christ. Okay? It's one of my resolutions. Live more openly for Christ. Be a fool for Christ. Third, be committed to the church and especially her weekly activities. You get tired of me saying this, but I get tired of being disappointed every year at the commitments to our ministries. Um, key verse let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near right avail yourselves of all the church offers all the things that the elders have said, yeah, we should do this. This is important so that the people of the church can be sanctified. I mean, we consider all these things. These, these, uh, if there's sacred cows we need to knock down, then we will. But the things that we have now, we've considered and believe that they're good for your growth. Bible studies, evening services, special programs, prayer meetings, right? Children's programs, fellowship events, fellowship meals, Sunday school, evangelism, outreach, Trinity Child Rescue, men's meetings, women's meetings, they're all there so that you might be sanctified in the Lord and be centered around the word. If you want to make very little progress in your faith, do the bare minimum of attendance at church at 10.30 a.m. on noon to noon on Sundays. You won't grow. You won't grow. You won't grow in the Lord. Right. If you want to make sure your kids think their relationship to God is optional, do the bare minimum. Right. If you blow off the church, you're teaching your children that there is no higher authority than your own appetites. Right. I just can't state this too strongly. There are people in our church who are not chronically ill who have missed almost half the Sundays this year. I have to say that. I'm not going to name names. But that is incredible to me. And that's Sunday mornings. That's just incredible to me. That should not be. Right? Make the church optional. And you're proclaiming to your children, to your neighbors, to your wife, to everybody around you, and to yourself that God and his kingdom are less important than a number of other things that get far more attention than the church. And you're putting your growth uh, on hold, not, not even, you're going into a tailspin, and the proof is that you're not assembling with the people of God. Right? The, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. The church is where God feeds his people through the word and the sacraments, and the, you know, we come together in this beautiful diversity, right, in unity in this body and where our energy combines into the work of the body. Um, I'm going to move on from that. I've got like a lot more that I would say on that, but all of you are here. (laughs) I know there are a lot of people traveling today. I, I understand that, and they're worshiping elsewhere. Praise God. Praise God. But... There's one last comment on on this to the men of our church. Um, The men who are heads of households, do you really expect um, me to believe you are doing in your home what you're not doing in church? I just don't believe it. We don't do in the church what we don't do at home. I mean... Do you spend Wednesday nights in your home praying? 
I get to church so that I will pray on Wednesday nights. That's why I do it. I need that for my flesh. Um, do, do you spend one Friday a month digging into a book of theology? Doubt it. Do you lament the heartless slaughter of the preborn on Saturday mornings when you're by yourself at home? You don't. But you would if you came out to the church out in front of the abortion clinic, which is awful ministry, really. And having people there is so helpful. It's so helpful because we're all scared out there. And it has been violent and it has been ugly lately. Right? Do you, do you make sure your wife is in the word? No, you don't. But you would if you insisted on just being faithful to the ministries of the church. So men, stop being weak. Lead your homes. Right? Discipline yourself and, and make your commitment to Christ and the church obvious to your family and insist that your wife and your children will be involved in the ministries of the church. And if you're an elder or a deacon, that doubly applies. Okay? All right, I'm going to be quiet or I'll lose my job. <clears throat> Four, stop paying attention to celebrities. Resolved. Stop paying attention to celebrities, whether Christian or not. Right? You, you need to be influenced by scripture and your love for Jesus Christ, not YouTube influencers. You don't need any more of that. We don't need that triviality, right? The days are wicked. We don't need triviality. You should spend less time being influenced also by Christian celebrities who know nothing about you and devote yourself to the ministries of the church, as I said before. Uh, there's so much more, again, that I could say on that. But celebrities, our infatuation with celebrity has just got to end. It has to stop. Right? Be, be with your brothers and sisters in the church. You'll, they know you, and they'll be more through a directed conversation. There'll be more fruitfulness that comes from that than listening to 45 R.C. Sproul sermons. I'm telling you. If you direct the conversation, if you're intentional about it, if you go to the word. All right. Five, keep the Lord's day holy. Keep the Lord's day holy. Key verse, Isaiah 58, 13 to 14. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day... And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. What a promise. Do you want to ride on the heights of the earth? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to have the heritage of Jacob? Do you want to, have, do you want to inherit the earth? Keep the Sabbath day. Right? This, is more than, this is more than just make Sundays different. Right? Although that's a good starting place if you haven't done anything else. Right? Do make the Lord's day different, but it's more than that. Remember the Sabbath rest is one of the Ten Commandments. Standing right next to do not commit adultery and do not steal, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Explaining the moral component of, right, of, the, of the commandment would take a sermon to work through, and I hope to do that in the new year. In the new year, I want to preach a, sermon of, a series of sermons on the Fourth Commandment, on Sabbath-keeping. And part of the reason I don't want to is because it's going to confront me. It is going to confront me, and it's, it's, going to, it's going to make me odious to my family as I try to clean up our Sabbath days, right? It's going to make me odious to my children who won't like what it means. But, but, but remember that verse. If we love God and we keep his Sabbath day, we will ride on the heights of the earth. 
Right? And so it's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God did it. And we can't. God did it. And he didn't need rest. God did it. And so it goes right back to creation. It's a creation ordinance. One in seven is to be a a day of rest. Sanctify the day when we come together to rest and worship and to celebrate the resurrection glory of the Son of God. Begin by making your Sundays different, right? Okay, begin there. Prepare for Sundays. Fathers, insist that everybody in your household sanctify this day. Make sure that you don't make others work for you on Sundays, Right? There are three things we should do and give ourselves to on the Lord's Day. Worship, Christian fellowship, and spiritual rest. Those three things. It's very simple. If you have to work or, or, or sleep for work, begin praying that God would res- resolve that situation and give you your Sundays back. Right? And if he doesn't, quit your job and trust him to provide another one. Um, yeah, I said it. Right? Trust and see that God will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Nothing is impossible for God, especially not your tiny little schedule or your tiny little life. Nothing is impossible. Students, study his work, work the six days, give the seventh day to God. A lot more that will be said on that, but I want to preach on this because I think we all need to... to, um, feel the weight of our uh, of the scriptures and also our confession on the sixth fight the ruts in your thinking kill inward sins okay give yourself to killing inward sins the key verse here for the word of god is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God can judge even your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And so remember that your thoughts are laid bare to God. He sees your heart. You and I get into ruts in our thinking, don't we? We just, we just keep returning to self-pity. We keep returning to bitterness and to to unforgiveness, or we keep returning to boasting, or, or pride, or anger, or lust, right? We keep returning in our thoughts to these things, and we haven't gone through the work of putting those thoughts to death. They've been our constant companion, and part of us really thinks that God does not see them because no one else sees them. But God sees them. It's time to start fighting those inward sins, those sins of the mind. It's time for us to take thoughts captive, right? Instead of being self-pitying, you can praise God as soon as that thought comes along. As soon as you're, you're like, oh, woe is me. You can stop it and praise God that he has brought you through such awful circumstances. And turn that self-pity <clears throat> into praise of God. Right at the time of temptation, right? <clears throat> because... You know, become a God-praiser rather than a self-pityer. Instead of being angry, you should ask God to give you a heart of tenderness and compassion. Instead of worrying, you should think of God's consolations. Instead of, right, dropping into that lustful cesspool again, you should meditate on the purity and glory of Jesus Christ. Right, instead of being angry at your parents who have been living for you and gave you life. Right? You should take those thoughts captive and turn uh, them to thanksgiving as an offering to God. Right? God can change even our thought lives, brothers and sisters, and perhaps it's more important than outward behavior change. Our minds must be renewed so that we may prove his will, so that we may work his will, so that we may um, live for him. Focus on your habits of thought, and through scripture study, Earnest prayer and meditation put to death this part of your flesh. Seven. There are eight. Seven. 
key verse here, or the, the resolution is, confess your serious sins to the elders of the church. Confess your serious sins to the elder of your church. Key verse, James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So there's nothing more wonderful than when someone with a tender conscience comes to the elders wanting to unburden themselves of a sin they have committed in the past or, or more recently. Um, it is, strangely enough, one of the most encouraging aspects of the elders board to hear people confess terrible sins to you. It's wonderful, right? Before you make shipwreck of your faith, before your sins deepen and lead to formal church discipline, confess them to your elders. Humble yourselves. They will pray for you. They will encourage you. They will uh, help you. They will keep you accountable. They may even discipline you. But if you're confessing, you'll be ready for that, and you'll be open to that. And so I pray we have the kind of church where we are free to confess our sins before the elders and before one another. Right? There are some churches that are so pharisaical that they prefer that you keep sins to yourself. Right? They like to keep up appearances. Right? We do not want to be one of those churches keeping up appearances. We want to be open that we are sinners and actively encourage one another to repent. We want to be real. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. I mean, come on. Oh, confession is good for the soul. And burden yourself of your sins. Confess and let the shame of that confession wash over you and then be a grace to you. Eighth, forgetting what lies behind, or forget what lies behind, and no longer allow the shame of past sins to color the present. Key verse, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead. The verse we read earlier. There's, there is a sense, I just said it, of feeling shame for our sins is, of the past is good. If we don't feel ashamed or never felt shame, it's likely we don't think our past actions are sinful. On the other hand, there's a sense in which shame for sins committed in the past is unbelief. Right? If we think that things we did in the past somehow disqualify us from the grace of God or somehow put us into a category of, of uncommon sinner. We do not understand the insidious nature of sin and its ubiquity, ubiquity, right? In other words, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and whatever those sins may be, they are all heinous in the sight of God. Everybody is in the same sinful predicament, and yet by faith in Jesus Christ... Those sins are forgiven and removed and propitiated and cast into the deepest part of the sea. And now it is the righteousness of Christ that defines who you are and how you relate to the world around you, not the fact that you sinned, for example, sexually in shameful ways, not the fact that you lied and cheated on exams, not the fact that you doped yourself up and served the idol of your flesh, right? Not the fact that you slandered others and blasphemed God. That doesn't define you. It is faith in Jesus Christ, and it is his cleansing blood, and it is his promises that he would remove our sins from us as far as east is from west. I mean, think of the blasphemous Paul, that blasphemous murderer, right? Saying, forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead. He killed those who loved Jesus, or at least was responsible for it. And so he says, press on. So many of us are just simply unwilling to forget what lies behind. We cling to it because it allows us to feel bitter and self-pitying, right? We'd rather cling to it than have a view of absolute forgiveness in Jesus Christ, right? But redemption in Jesus Christ has made you something new. It has made you something new. So believe in the washing, sanctifying, justifying power of Jesus. And this year, forgetting what lies behind, press on. You're forgiven and needn't be ashamed anymore. Okay? There's so much more that that we could say about that again. But I'm going to stop. Fight on. 
press on, make progress, right? Take a moment this week to add your own resolutions, customize the ones I just shared with you, whatever you need to do, and then let's pray that we see a real pursuit of God in this coming year. Pray that this is a year of of glorious growth and not a backsliding year, okay? Not Not a dog returning to its vomit kind of year, but, a, but a, a feasting year on the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we thank you for your work in us, that you have started a work and you have promised to see it through. Father, I pray that you would give us, that you would give us self-control, that you would give us perseverance, that you would give us Uh, times of sweet meditation on you, I pray that they would lead to self-examination and that would lead to confession and repentance, Father, and growth and that we we would grow in you in this coming year. Father, I pray that we would, we would not be so foolish as to dispense with those ordinary means of grace that you have given to us, your word, your sacraments, prayer. I pray that we would give ourselves to those things because we love you and desire desire to be like our heavenly father, that we would be conformed to Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would be faithful this year, that you would would bless us richly, Father, that we would take the time to do these things and uh, and to honor you in our lives. Father, I pray especially that you would You would help us to be bold and courageous, that we would live our faith outwardly, that we would not cower, that we would not be cowards, that in the face of of those who even are our enemies, those who hate us, those who are just ambivalent toward us, that we would be ready to speak about our Savior, that we would be ready to share your word, that we would be ready to, to stop and lose our agenda and speak about the Son of God, the God-man who rose from the dead and triumphed over sin. Lord, I pray that you would, you would grow us in this. Lord, help us. May we walk in a manner worthy of your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.